0: it's the rush fan cast something for nothing jerry and steve with you your companions unobtrusive <laughs> jerry's always unobtrusive not just on the podcast how are you Jerry? Uh, i'm fine steve I'm trying not to get in your way <laughs> you can find us on twitter at rush fan cast. instagram we are at the rush cast email jerry the at gmail.com bass intro done always by Lex, a masterful job. And speaking of emails, Jerry, here you have a, a lengthy one today that's fantastic and I can't wait to hear it.
1: Yes. Uh, a man named Ken sent me this email. Um, so here goes. Stephen Jerry, I discovered your podcast about a month ago and I must say, well done. I'm really enjoying it. I recently had a very close friend, Paul, pass away. During one of his last days, I spent several hours with him and his mom, reminiscing and looking at photos. Paul was sleeping soundly when, during the course of my conversation with his mom, I told her the following story. It brought a smile to her face, and I hope that it brings a smile to others as well. Paul and I are the same age as the two of you. We graduated high school in 1987 and were buddies starting in 1983 when we were in the ninth grade. We realized we had much in common, including a love of Rush. Paul had an uncle who played drums in a rock band, and of course, he liked Rush and Neil Peart and shared this with his nephew. I had been introduced to Rush in the summer of 81 through a friend's older brother. Paul and I were attracted to the lyrics and the music, but mostly the lyrics. There simply wasn't any other rock band that were making songs about future worlds out in space and Greek mythology and cool stuff like that. We viewed Neil as a demigod. Even when we were 13 years old, we could see and hear the talent there, and really without comparison. John Bonham and Keith Moon were great, of course, but Neil was a cut above everyone. In any event, Paul and I loved Rush, and we loved being Rush fans, separate from the normal kids in the cliques. If you liked Rush, it was akin to being in a secret club in many ways. Sure, most of our friends loved Tom Sawyer, Limelight, or Spirit of the Radio, but Hemispheres was not getting any airtime on the radio or at parties. And singing songs about Greek gods was not viewed as normal for ninth graders in 1983. (laughs) In the ninth grade, Paul and I had an honors English class with Mrs. Nancy, not her real name. Mrs. Nancy was an old school, hard-ass English teacher. She did not like Paul and I because we were generally goof-offs and troublemakers. We weren't over the top or out of control, but enjoyed getting on Mrs. Nancy's nerves, and she knew it. She had no tolerance for our shenanigans. One assignment from Mrs. Nancy was to write a poem within a drawing or other artwork of our own. Paul was an incredible freehand artist. He drew a beautiful rendition of Apollo versus Dionysus using colored pencils. I can still see it. It was 11 by 17, oriented in landscape, the top half of the world from the equator up, hemisphere, with Apollo on one side and Dionysus on the other. They were doing battle in some way, but I cannot remember exactly how, but I do remember the poem was really the lyrics to Hemispheres oh. written in beautiful cursive <laughs> on the earth beneath the battle of the two gods it was brilliant and mrs nancy gave him an a plus <laughs> she hung it on the wall in the hallway outside her classroom with a couple of other student poems as examples of excellence paul and i knew the slight risk of posing this in public for the school masses to see but as i mentioned before who knows of or listens to hemispheres Furthermore, who would take the time to stop and read a poem on the wall in a high school hallway? (laughs) But a 10th grader did just that and told Mrs. Nancy that the poem was actually lyrics from Rush. You can imagine Mrs. Nancy's anger. She (laughs) being duped by a goof off and praising his work by posting it for all to see with an A plus on it. Mrs. Nancy recommended suspension to the principal, but she made a mistake. She left the drawing on her desk. Paul's dad was a cop, and Paul was a forward-thinking boy. He assumed that if there was no evidence, there would be no prosecution. When Mrs. Nancy was at lunch, I stood lookout in the hallway while Paul went into her classroom and took back his A-plus poem. Later that day, Mrs. Nancy, Paul, and the principal had a phone call with Paul's dad, the cop. Paul's dad, just as Paul predicted, asked Mrs. Nancy and the principal if he could see the artwork in question. When he was told it was gone and couldn't be found, he said something to the effect of, "Well." I guess there won't be a suspension. And he was right. The evidence was gone oh, and the school had no case against Paul. Mrs. Nancy always knew that we took it and she really hated us for the rest <laughs> of the school year. My old dear friend was quite smart and quite a smart ass. And so this last part of the story sums him up perfectly. On the last day of school in the ninth grade, Paul put the hemispheres drawing on Mrs. Nancy's windshield under the windshield wiper, so wow. she would have to find it on her way home. <laughs> <laughs> it was his final thumbing his nose at her. Paul's mom laughed at the end of the story and said it sounded like something from a movie, and I must agree. Paul, you are my Rush buddy, quite a character, and a great friend. Thank you for the memories, and rest in peace. Ken. Wow.
0: That is an amazing story, Ken. Thanks so much for that. Oh, wow. But, uh, <laughs> I'm glad you didn't show that to me before you read it, Joe. That was great. I know. I uh, d-
1: When I read it and I was laughing, I'm like, oh, man. I- putting, it under the- <laughs> putting it under the windshield is just turning the screw at that point, right?
0: Oh, that's fantastic. That is fantastic. You know, we were talking about hemispheres on an earlier episode, and I said I should have used a line for my wedding vows. So I was thinking the same thing. <laughs> that's right. That would have been hilarious. Yeah, but then if your wife finds out that you used Rush to write your wedding vows, then you're in big trouble. I don't remember
1: what what were you, do you remember what you were going to say? I don't remember what you said.
0: I forget. I think it was the la- the last line of Hemispheres. We can walk our way right, together. Right. <laughs> see, the thing is with Miss Nancy, you're never going to see her again. Never going to see her again. With your wedding vows, it's a little <laughs> bit different. Yeah, you might see your wife every once in
1: a while in the kitchen.
0: <laughs> every once in a while. <laughs> So, Jerry, we've got a great guest today on the Rush FanCast, someone we've had on before. I'm always excited when we have a two-time guest. I know, another two-timer. Another two-timer. He is the creative director and founder of FanTunes. He's got a new book out, along with illustrator Lindsay Lee. It's called Neil Peart Illustrated Quotes. David Calcano, welcome back to the Rush FanCast.
2: Thank you for having me. It's uh, time to bore your audience once again, so... <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate it.
0: You're not boring at all, David. Why don't you start by telling us why you did this book and why now?
2: Wow. Uh, well, this is a book that's been in the works for many years, right? I don't need to to introduce your, your wonderful audience uh, about Neil's uh, literary work and his writings and everything, but I've always been a big fan of his interviews and his uh, how articulate he is with uh, with his ideas and obviously his writing. And, uh, you know, when, when you, and this is not just for Neil's books, it's any book or any article. Sometimes you read an article and there are tiny pieces that suddenly kind of, stuck out for you. At least that's that's the way it is for me. There are little quotes or little stories that that sort of get tattooed in your brain uh, in a way. And uh, with Neil, that happened to me quite a lot. And I felt that a lot of those little snippets didn't necessarily get reported. What you would see on the press is the typical, oh, he's such an amazing drummer or whatever. But there are little personal things that that would describe him at least the way I actually the way I I see who he was that were never anywhere you know uh little things about his his musical influences uh uh little uh, anecdotes with the band uh, his sense of humor cuz you could easily get an impression that he was such a serious guy if you just see the concert footage you know He's kind of always he's doing all that mammoth type work that he has to concentrate to be able to deliver the performances. But when you read this book, his books and when you hear the interviews, the guy has an amazing sense of humor. And when we, I don't know, see the extra that we all love of the three guys having dinner, you see how he's crying, laughing with Alex's jokes and all that kind of stuff. So those little things, I I always thought that they never got prime time. If you put it just to to kind of give it give it a word, and we wanted, I wanted to select those little things and actually create a little illustration and start to sort of celebrate that part of Neil as well. You know, like oh no, he look at that or look at this, and uh, and we started with just very basic uh, quotes uh, in social media. And in fact, I think the very very first one that we that we ever did before Lindsay got on board was the fact that he learned how to play drums with a tra- little transistor radio on top of his uh, heater, you know? I always loved that little anecdote. The fact that the greatest drummer of all time learned how to play with a tiny transistor radio with probably a really, really crappy sound and then playing drums on top. So that to me, it wasn't very well known for a lot of people, even for major fans, you know. So it was my attempt to start getting those out there. And once some of those quotes actually started to work, I thought, well, maybe this could be really be a book. You know, it always starts with a little idea, with something small. And then suddenly things kind of take take a bigger, um, I guess, a bigger stage. And that's why we did the book. We wanted to show a different side of Neil that is not necessarily a quote of the lyric or, or, so, or the fact that he's the greatest drummer of all time. We wanted to show little personal things that we discovered when we were reading his books, when we were enjoying his interviews and, and all that kind of stuff, and just kind of get people interested to explore more about him. That's it.
1: And when did it, like you said, turn into a, a proper project where you had to go to the, you know, the guys, the management, and say, hey, are you guys interested in this?
2: Well, first of all, we did probably the entire book, almost the entire book before we do that. So even before, I think I said this in our interview last time, in this particular case, when we present the idea, we had the book done. You know, we had all the quotes done so that they could see how much we wanted to explore and everything in terms of how the book was going to work. But that was that was like maybe a year and a half or something after I started to do the social media bits, because initially we had to do the exploration to find the graphic, the proper graphic style for what we wanted to do. And uh, initially we did it in color. I didn't think it was particularly appealing. And uh, so we st- we explored different styles first. Then Lindsay joined uh, the, the studio and she, we started to work and, And I started to work with her in terms of trying to nail down a studio. And I've always been a a gigantic fan of the New Yorker, as probably in the entire country is the New Yorker cartoons. And uh, I love their simplicity and their elegance. and, And we, I'm not saying we're anywhere near smart or fantastic as those guys. But that was definitely something that we were aspiring to do with the style. You know, we wanted something that was elegant so that the quote would be the protagonist. We didn't want to have a Leonardo da Vinci page so that he would take over the quote. You want something that actually complements the quote because it's about his quote, not about the cartoon.
1: Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's really interesting because I didn't think of that. But now that I'm looking at some of the pages, I'm like, yeah. <laughs> I'm trying, I could, I can imagine this on, you know, the New Yorker Instagram page for the caption contest. Like, what am I going to what am I going to put here?
2: <laughs> That's a major compliment, man. I'll take it and I'll yeah. tell you about it for sure. So we we tried different things before we got to the right one. And, and I don't want to. Take too much time on this, but it was okay. How much shadow are we going to put in? How much black and white? How much color? I mean, it was what it, what's going to be the balance in line, something that not a lot of people care. But in order to actually get to the right level, we had to do a lot of exercising on that. Then we started selecting the quotes. You know, once we found a style that worked, then we started selecting the quote. And I can tell you which of the comics, like which of the cartoons. There was one that I, when we finished it, that was like, we have a book, we have a style. And it was this one, the world one, where we see Neil's uh, motorcycle going around the world. And yeah,
1: that's page two.
2: How could anyone ever be bored in this world when there was so much to be interested in, to learn, to contemplate? And that's the kind of thing that is awesome about this guy, you know, I, that was so inspirational and when we see we saw the i was personally saw this drawing i was like yeah this is something that i feel comfortable to take to management to then start uh, start this project and see if neil likes it you know and uh then we were we started selecting the quotes and started working out all the different pages you know before we we took the uh we took the all the cartoons to management
0: and so you mentioned in the introduction david of the book that Neil did sign off on this. What, what did that mean to you to get his thumbs up on this book?
2: Everything, man. It was everything. <sighs> how could I say this? You know, he, he's he been such an inspiration to me in so many respects and actually to Lindsay too, you know, we basically, all his work ethic, all his, uh, how he treasures family and all his persona you know his personality how he treated his bandmates his whole philosophy on life you know he meant so much to to us that when we got that we had a, an internal little celebration that he loved the quotes you know he loved the uh, the project and he 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 gave us the two thumbs up and it was it was unbelievable you know it was like yeah i mean this is incredible especially i don't know what it is he was such a private person, then whenever we got feedback from him, it always meant a million times more than anything else. You know what I mean? And uh, the fact that he he enjoyed what we did and, uh, and it made him laugh, more importantly, it meant the world to us. So we were happy to kind of move forward and then start kind of finalizing the book, basically. So yeah, I mean, that's pretty much what I can say, I mean, it's, it's, it was such a huge joy for all of us. You know, I can, I'll rem- I remember exactly when, when we got the email from management. And uh, I remember that uh, I was getting into my car and I looked at my phone and we had the uh, approval there that, that he really loved it and uh, that he laughed with it. And I immediately called Lindsay and we were both like over the moon. I mean, I'll never forget the moment.
1: Tell us a little bit about Lindsay. You said she started working at the studio.
2: Yeah, so Lindsay, Lindsay is one of the biggest collaborators that I've ever had in my career. And uh, we write together, and she's an incredible artist in her own right. You know, she, she drew the entire book. And um, she lives in Tennessee, and uh, we both share a deep love for the band. We both share a deep love for comics. And uh, the most important thing is that we share the sense of humor. Uh, the sense of humor is very similar, actually, for both of us. And we collaborate really, really well because of that. You know, we we make each other laugh. It, it happened more than once that we come up with the same joke, you know. <laughs> mm-hmm. And uh, without her, this book wouldn't have happened, you know. I did try previous collaborators before, and it wasn't that we were creating something bad, but it was not something that was gonna be as special as we wanted it to be if we if we were gonna do this we we were gonna go all in and i'm I know there's gonna be people that are probably not gonna like the book, but I am super, super proud of what we did, you know, and i we didn't leave anything behind we we put it all in. And she is that kind of person. She works her butt off to make sure whatever she delivers and whatever she works with me, uh, it has 100% of what she's capable to do as an artist.
0: So what Jerry and I thought we would do with you today, David, is each choose our favorite illustrations from the book, and then you could tell us a little bit about the illustrations we pick. What do you think? Sure. Jerry, why don't you go first?
1: Oh, okay. Well, one of my favorites... Is the one? It's on page. If anyone's uh, listening and following along with the book, I'm sure many people have it. Page 29. It's the road closed one. I'm holding it up right here for you guys to see. And the quote is: "When I see a sign like this here, I pause and think it over. Should I continue, trusting that I'll find my way through, or should I turn back and find another way?" That's life. That I know. Well, I read that and I was like, oh boy, that that's him, right? I mean, you, you. these are the, the, the roads less traveled type of dilemmas in life, right? You keep going and see what happens, or you turn back and find another way.
2: Exactly. And uh, yeah, I mean, that's some of the things are so profound, you know, and could be applicable. That, that's the beauty of it. It could be applicable to so many different things in your life. And that's why this particular quote was chosen, you know, it will have a completely different meaning. For the three of us, if we actually go down to a specific experience in your life, and that's why it connects so well. Mm-hmm. And uh, before I, I came to this interview, I did talk to Lindsay to try to get a little bit of her her input in, into a lot of these things. She, she but she's very shy, and and uh, she she doesn't articulate necessarily why one thing or another. But we started talking about it, and we discovered. And I, as I think we will discover in, in, the, in the next quotes that you probably are going to share with us, that there are specific themes throughout the book that we'll, that we'll discover. And I will talk about them when the quotes start to, when we start talking about the, all the different quotes. And, and you'll see what I'm talking about.
0: So, David, my first one is page 11. You know it's the last show of the last tour. And with all the judges in attendance, well, I'll just do what I do every night try not to suck. Now, first of all, I love the illustration of Neil just staring out into the audience and it's all judges. And I'm just amazed that to the very end, Neil was concerned about not sucking, even though that was the furthest thing from the truth. Exactly. Yes. And that's, that's, and that's
2: exactly what, what we thought, you know, how the humility that he has, still until the very end and still worried about being at his absolute best and I hate to go back and repeat myself but that's why he's such an amazing role model you know he never let uh, get it go below a hundred percent or a hundred and ten percent that's why we put this in it's, it was so inspirational to us to see I mean and to understand obviously from a uh, fifty thousand Feed view you know but to understand the level of pressure that somebody who cares as much as neil about his job what it meant for him every time he went on stage and and that that's that's what it was for us
1: basically now my next one uh speaks to his humor it's on page 68 it's the one with he's wearing the big cowboy hat (laughs) it looks like a, a a young a youngish neil with a gigantic cowboy hat on A 50-gallon hat. Yeah. And it says, many years ago in Dallas, I was sent a custom-made cowboy hat that hat served as my lyric writing hat for it was impossible to take yourself too seriously while wearing a cowboy hat. (laughs) 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 I just love that too because, you know, his lyrics, so deep. Yeah. So touching at times. I just love to picture him. He almost has to get out of his own head, right? With the pressure of being Neil Peart. He puts, puts on this goofy hat and now he's just some guy writing lyrics. I think it's amazing.
2: And again, this is another thing. It, again, and this, and this has many, many different interpretations, but you can see, first of all, the sense of humor, right? That which kind of would take away anyone who thinks that the guy was super serious and whatever. He, might, he was super serious about his job, but from what I read, I mean, I, I you can tell that he loved to laugh and 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 he didn't take himself too seriously. And to be honest with you, if he, if he was a guy that would take himself so seriously, I wouldn't be working with Rush whatsoever. Right. Let's be <laughs> honest, you know, because we have fun with them uh, in in a in a loving way but we do have fun and and make fun of stuff in a, in a, in a loving and as a fan, you know, and if he was like super serious, we wouldn't, we wouldn't have a job man with them, (laughs) you know, It's that Uh, he wouldn't have approved that animated short that we did, you know, certainly he would, we wouldn't have been able to do this book. So he was, he had an incredible sense of humor and, uh, and this, this proves it. And this in particular, there's another side of this particular quote, that really struck to me as you were saying that he has to step back because I can't imagine the pressure that would be after you write something like subdivisions. All right, what are you going to do next? Right. So uh, how are you going to top yourself now that everybody's quoting you and everybody's quoting all these lyrics and it's becoming part of pop culture. So, I mean, I run this crappy little company and I feel with little, so much pressure. Actually, actually, it's not little. I feel a lot of pressure with my crappy little projects. I can't imagine what he was must have felt like. You know, when you are impacting millions of people with your songs, you really have to just step back and just say, you know what, I'm just going to work. Let's put my cowboy hat here.
0: Yeah, let's you know? get our cowboy hats uh, on. <laughs> and
2: let's let's get to work. You know, yeah. and that's it. Without thinking about the implications, thinking about whether I'm going to write a song that's going to sell millions of copies or whatever, or what's going on in the world. You got to just trust your God and your instinct and just go ahead and do it. If you think too much, nothing's going to get done.
1: Yeah. You know, um, obviously Alex and and, um, Getty both have great senses of humor. I don't know if you have been paying attention to Getty's Instagram page. He's been sharing a lot of those Bernie memes <laughs> Bernie on the cover of all of the albums. I think they're hilarious.
2: It's everywhere.
1: Yeah. It's but everywhere. The, but the fact that he, you know, he thinks it's funny. Because it is it is funny, you know what I mean? Like he they don't even hold their album covers. It's like the,
2: No, no, the I cherished I, 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 I agree. item. I I agree. They've said it so many times that that was what kept them together for so many decades. That was the other theme that we took for the book, you know? We uh sense of humor, and there are different variants of, of the, that particular theme, but one of them was certainly Neil's own sense of humor, and the other one is the sense of humor that they share together as a band, you know, as, as that unit. Um, so that, that also we try to capture in the book as well.
0: So my next one, David, is another fun one. This is on page 15. On one or two tours in the late 70s, roller skating, had been a backstage pastime for a number of us guys at work arena floors and outside hallways were spectacular for it. Now the image of Neil and his kimono <laughs> and long hair roller skating backstage is just fantastic. Thank you. And these guys just always had fun, right? That's what this screams to me. Exactly. Exactly.
2: Well, uh, once again, I mean, we're going to the, to the same theme, you know, uh, that outfit, to me, has been something that we fans have created memes or or talked about it for so many years, you know. And uh, the fact that he's, first of all, Neil in uh, uh, with roller skates—it's something that I would have, if I didn't read his books, it's something that I would have never thought it would happen. <laughs> to be honest, no, no, because when I. Th- think of Neil is always sort of the, maybe because a lot of the stuff that I saw is in the past uh, 30 years or whatever, but I saw it. I will always think about the motorcycle first and foremost, but thinking about him in roller skates, I, yeah, I, that, that was, that was such an image that's, that stayed with us. And Lindsay actually came up with "Oh, uh, let's have, let's have him with the kimono and then have him, <laughs> uh, going on backstage enjoying and, uh, and that will connect with, with all of us. And it certainly did. You know, we, we really enjoy this quote. You know, it's, 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 that part that combines sense of humor with the fandom from the, uh, all the different outfits throughout, uh, throughout their career.
1: Yeah. I also like to think, you know, I grew up in the seventies, so I roller skated a lot and roller skating is one of the things like either you're great at it or you're not great at it. You know what I mean? There's no, <laughs> there's no in between. You're either, you know, just slowing down by uh, ramming into the wall. Or you're doing all the tricks and, and skating backwards and stuff like that. So I can just imagine all these guys backstage, like, running into each other.
2: It must have been a blast, you know. Yeah. Especially if somebody was drinking, you know, that, that would oh. have been a lot of laughs. laughs.
1: I'm sure that's how the idea first came up.
0: <laughs> I wonder if Alex and Getty roller skated, too. Who were the guys at work? <laughs> the guys at work, yeah. <laughs> the guys at work. <laughs>
1: I, w- I would say
2: the, the crew. I don't know if they did, actually. That's a very good question, you know.
1: I also love the fact he says guys at work. <laughs> <You know? laughs> like, you know, like we have people in near the copier. You know, he's, he's drumming for Rush and he's got the guys at work.
2: <laughs> well, but it was, it was yeah, really? it's funny, right? It's, it's difficult to picture that, but it, that was his job. man.
1: Yeah. It was his job. Yeah. Uh, so the next one I have, page 42 for those following along, is the one which is a map of North America with, obviously, a uh, Glass and Bacallan on the map. And it says, I don't regret that the ride is over, but rather feel grateful for the miles I have traveled, for the sights along the way, and to be exactly where I am. Now, this is the kind of thing, you know, you should tack up on your, you know, inspiration board or something. Yeah. He did so many things, had so many adventures, but the greatest adventure sometimes is, I don't know, being at home cooking dinner, right?
2: Yeah, I agree. And that's the other thing. I always felt uh, whenever I read any of his words is that he was so appreciative of what he was able to accomplish and what he had at any point in time. I never felt like he would be complaining about stuff. He was appreciative of where he was in any particular moment in time. And uh, I don't know if you guys read the Rolling Stone piece, you know, but it, it certainly it was such a beautiful such a beautiful article but there was something that really struck me was when brian Hyatt talks about those calls or or contacts that he was doing with gideon and alex talking about the music of Rush, you know and being proud of what he did you know that was so beautiful um and uh so touching at the same time that at the at at the end of his life he was going back and looking at everything that he did, and he was, he was so happy and proud, as he should have been. And this tells you everything. I mean, he, he never let anything behind. He, he yeah. always gave his all in everything that he did and appreciated the moment that he was living in. Yeah. That's why he would stay in a crappy little motel, and he would appreciate it, <laughs> yeah. you know? Uh, uh, right. Talking to a stranger there that he wouldn't necessarily know he was Neil Peart. Right. That's such a little moment, you know, and he is, it was so important to him that he wrote it in a book. You know what I mean? You don't put in a book some crappy moment that you didn't enjoy. You put in a book stuff that you care, you know, stuff that really means something to you. And and I always felt that he cared about the little things.
1: He cared about the motels and the pump and the pumping his own gas. Exactly.
0: (laughs) And the people that he didn't know that were staying in the hotels that he could talk to over breakfast.
2: Exactly. As a regular guy.
0: Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So David, my next one is on page 50 and it's another one having to do with Russia's sense of humor. The first thing we shared was a sense of humor. We started doing Monty Python sketches. Yeah. If you share a sense of humor. There's really a good start to your relationship. And I just love the image of Getty, Alex and Neil. We've seen this. In the documentary, them having dinner and just enjoying each other's company, telling stories and laughing. Just a great image.
2: <laughs> well, I mean, that's my favorite DVD extra of all time. And uh, kudos to the guys at Banger Films because, you know, I don't know how the funding of that documentary worked. And, but I, being in the industry... And uh, being able to sell the fact that you're going to have an extra that is going to be, I can't remember how long it is. I think it's probably a half an hour or something or 25 minutes of the guys talking. And being able to say, hey, we're just going to feel them talking, having dinner. And being able to convince some people that all they see probably are nickels and dimes and stuff like that. Hats off to those guys. That's probably my favorite. It's kind of being a little fly on the wall in their world for a little bit and discover that they're nice guys. And that, that, that was diamond everything to me. And and that's why we married that quote with this image, because they are laughing their hearts out in in that thing, you know? Yeah. And, uh, I I can't even imagine what's in the cutting room floor from, from that particular time. You know, I'm sure there's stuff that they couldn't even put in, you know? Um, But yeah, I mean, you can see, you know, this is not your typical band where the band members are hating each other and uh, they're caring about who makes more money than who or or I got this car or I got the girl or whatever it is. These guys are brothers who, you know, who truly have a special chemistry with in between them, you know. And that's what that scene meant to, meant to us.
1: And I want to just shout out to Lindsay for including the little magnets on the table. <laughs> Very <laughs> because good. In, the, in that extra, Alex brings them little tiny magnets. Something like my grandmother would give me like, oh, you play guitar. Here's a,
2: here's a guitar <laughs> magnet,
1: doing a little these. bass magnet and a little drum magnet. And there they are on the table. It's fantastic. Yeah, I, I agree.
2: No, I, I, I love talking to you guys. You guys are. Good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I really okay. do.
1: The, the next one I have is uh, page 67. It's a park expired parking meter in the foreground. In the background is Neil sleeping in his car. And it says, peace is a space you move through very rarely and very briefly, but you're not allowed to stay there. You have to keep moving and go do what you do because you can. Because you can. Yes. Right? while you can do it you should do it
2: yeah exactly right you can do it you should do it and also i mean to me this uh sometimes you want the world to stop and i'm sure all of us have felt it in one way or another you want like oh this there's too much crap going on at the same time can we just take pause a little bit and just kind of at least get some peace and you know the reality is, if that wish was granted, I would personally get bored in, in a day or two, you know? And that is because I still can do what I do. There's going to, there will be a time where I maybe won't have the energy that I have today. And we have to take that, you know, every day to the fullest. And that's what, what it means to me,
0: too. So the next one I have, David, is on page 58. And I love this image of Getty screaming a crucial factor in Russia's longevity has been Getty's voice that he retained his range and power is somewhat of a miracle. And without it, we'd be finished. And then behind Getty, you see Alex and Neil flying through the air from the power of Getty's voice, (laughs) which I just love. And I love the fact that this, this quote is so true. It is. How important was Getty to their longevity? just amazing
2: yeah, yeah. and uh, and by the way this is 100% lindsay <laughs> uh, that's her sense of humor i just i was just laughing when i saw the drawing It was just like this is got to be in and this is another i mean if we, we if we talk about themes as well i mean about not just what connected them as human beings with the sense of humor that we were talking about is how complementary they they were between each other and the respect they had between them. That, again, that was always, you never saw, oh, Neil is trashing Getty in the press, you know, and stuff like that. You never saw any of that crap between the guys. Mm-hmm. You would see stuff like this, you yeah. know, that he would compliment the performance of Getty throughout the years. And that's, in fact, fi- and I don't know how he did it, by the way, because those vocals from the 70s, they are complete madness mm-hmm. in terms of the range. And uh you know, we st- not too long ago, you know, if you think about it, in our forty, we were enjoying you know pretty high vocals, you know, going crazy at, in in the audience, you know, and hugging the people that we love while we were listening to to Getty singing and uh he kept it until the very end of the band. you know mm-hmm. I'm hoping that at some point we can see some Getty solo concert or something at some point because I think he still has the urge to perform, you know. I would freaking love to listen some of the, my favorite headache songs or something like that, you know, whatever he wants to, to enjoy, whatever he feels to create, because he still can perform to 100%. Yeah, and it's,
1: it's funny how um, you said before that they were brothers and they got along so well. When there are bands that are literally composed of brothers who hate each other, <laughs> yeah, Black Crows, oh, Oasis, <laughs> no. right? Black Crows, yeah, The Kinks, Oasis, yeah, Oasis. Those guys hate each other
2: exactly. And by the way, we all know too that they also had their differences. I mean, um, this obviously was not a all uh, the, oh, the peas like oh, thing all the time because they when you are creating. You're bound to have creative differences that you that but they were they loved each other enough to be able to resolve those as time moved on, you know like like I don't know perhaps when when they introduced the keyboards you know mm-hmm. and that kind of stuff I mean I'm sure that was tough for Alex at some point, you know they sure had creative differences i'm I'm sure I wasn't in the room, but they put the respect they had for each other, you know in order to resolve those differences, to create the wonderful art that we are blessed to enjoy today.
1: Yeah, and they respected the music itself. Exactly. Exactly. So my, I think this is my last one, Steve. It I'm is. I'm not, not big on counting. I think this is my last one. Um, it's a simple one, and this is what I was thinking of when you said that the style is reminiscent of The New Yorker. It's this one. It's on page 10, actually. And it's just Neil talking to someone. Maybe at a diner or something. This looks like like I said, it, it could just be the image for a, a caption. But it says, travel is its own reward, but traveling among strangers can show you as much about yourself as it does about them. Wow. Now, yeah, so that's uh, that speaks, you know, to his desire to learn in unusual places, right? Not all learning takes place in a schoolroom or from a book, and also that he wants to explore himself and make himself a a better person learn like what was his reaction to this thing why did i have this reaction to this situation and let me see if i can you know change that or make it better in some way
2: yeah i i agree and 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 coming back to what we were saying before he just wanted just to be a regular joe sometimes you know and have yeah. and not have everybody revering what he's saying. And he wanted probably, and this, I'm, I'm making this up, but I would presume that he also wanted people to listen to him and have a conversation with him, not because he was Neil Peart. Mm. You know, just enjoy a regular conversation where they exchange ideas and disagree. Because if people knew who he was, oh, maybe I, I shouldn't say this to Neil or whatever. You know, th- there there is a layer there that disappears when they don't know who he is. Mm. And that, I mean, I can't even imagine what that must feel for famous people. You know, you, you don't know when you're having a conversation with somebody if they are being truthful or if they are just smelling your ass, you know, that, right. that kind of a
1: thing. Yeah.
2: Uh, and for a guy like that, I mean, it, it, must, it must be frustrating. I, 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 if every time you talk to somebody, everybody's like, oh, oh, oh. You know, uh, some fans could get frustrated because they didn't get an, an autograph or a conversation or, or whatever, but all you have to do is think about being in their shoes mm-hmm. for a year or a week, yeah. where yeah. They, don't, they cannot go necessarily where they want to go. Maybe, maybe they want to go to the mall, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, maybe they want to go to the Starbucks at the mall with, with your kids. You know, or, and they just can't do it. You yeah. got to get freaking DoorDash or whatever to bring you the coffee from there because you can't go out. Right. That, that, I'm sure that is super tough yeah. to be able to handle it. You know, I truly admire the fact that the, the, all the famous guys that actually can deal with that so naturally because the majority of people can't.
0: You know, I think that's why Neil liked living in Los Angeles and he also liked visiting New York because he could blend in a little bit more.
2: Yeah, yeah. yeah. People, people here is because there are so many, you know, mm-hmm. uh, there are so many celebrities around. People tend to be respectful unless there is one of those bosses that are around the, the sort of the famous people houses and stuff like that. But generally, you do see, if you go to a restaurant, there's a high chance that you're going to see somebody that you will recognize from, from a series. You know, I, even a, like a B actor or, or whatever, you know, there's always somebody there. And I've never seen anybody running, chasing anybody so far in all the years that I've been living here.
1: Well, that's the other concern, right? Is if somebody comes up to you, it's not only are they going to, you know, be overly respectful and treat you godlike. The other question is, what does this person want from me? Somebody always wants a piece of you, whatever it is.
2: What is, what what do they want? Right. Yeah.
0: So David, my last one is my favorite one from the entire book. It's on page 83. After 50 years of devotion to hitting things with sticks, I would rather avoid any sense of losing it by simply setting it aside and moving on to other interests. And I, I love the illustration that, uh, Lindsay did on this one, just a silhouette of Neil looking out to the mountains, out his door and his sticks and hat just sitting on a table. And it just makes me sad that Neil didn't get to enjoy his retirement for very long. You know,
2: but at the time I got to tell, I tell you something at the time when we were doing this, we were happy for him, you know, and, uh, we were sad because we were not going to see the band uh, necessarily anymore, or we were hoping for a record. I can tell you that when we were, when we, uh, when we were doing the book, we were hoping there could be a new record. I mean, there could be in today's digital age. I mean, there was all these crazy hopes, but everything you read on the press indicated that Neil simply, he was done and he wanted to spend time with his daughter. I remember, I don't, I don't know if you guys remember that, but I think there was an article that where where it talks about that he was working at the I think it was the school library or something with of her of his daughter or something like that, mm-hmm. or doing I don't know what he was, but you can tell that he just wanted to be a dad, you know, and mm-hmm. uh, and I think this also was tied with uh, the fact that he wanted to kind of leave the sticks there and. Uh, Live at the highest point in his career, and never start reading stuff that we quite honestly read from other bands. Like, oh, they just don't have it anymore. Yeah, he uh, can't cut it, you mm-hmm. know. Or they simplified the drum part. And 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 I gotta be honest too, man. We are so geeks with the music, with their music, that if let's say, you know, none of the tragedy that happened would have happened and they would have done another tour or whatever I don't one I think he would have never allowed himself to simplify a drum part
0: mm-hmm.
2: like many other drummers certainly do and I've heard you know so, and and if he cannot play the way he wanted to play he just he was like let's call it quits you know let let me leave at the highest point in my career and that's something that you have to admire that tells you the integrity he had as a human being, the integrity he had for his work and his art. You know, that is an artist in his true form. If I cannot do this at my absolute potential, I'm not going to do it anymore. That's it. Mm-hmm. As a person and as, a, as, a, as, as an aspiring artist, you know, the, that always inspires me and inspires my entire studio. I mean, his work ethic was second to none. He was not going to allow anything to, uh, to get a secondary performance, man. There are so many bands out there that, you know, they shouldn't be touring. Let's be honest. It ruins my memories. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. The moment you see a band that you love or an artist that you love doing a crappy performance, not because it was a bad day. Because sometimes you then watch them again, and you're like, yeah, they're done. If you watch two or three, and it's, it's not giving you the goosebumps, it ruins your memories, you know? If if they keep touring, and they cannot even sing. And I'm not talking about necessarily hitting the, the high notes and stuff like that. It's just because there's no energy, Yeah, you know? There are artists that have reinvented themselves. And, uh, for example, I'll, I'll tell you a name that I still love to see live, Elton John. That guy gives an absolute performance every time that I have ever seen him. Mm-hmm. He leaves everything on that stage, you know, and uh, he, he doesn't have the falsetto that he, has in, he had in the 70s, but he still sings those songs. He keeps them in the same key. There's energy and there's power in his playing. I can watch that guy playing anytime. I've watched him on the piano. I've watched him with a full band, with an orchestra. He, I've never seen a bad concert from him ever. Mm-hmm. And you know, that's and that's fantastic. But there are there's bands and artists that they just it's just bad, man. It's just a bad experience.
1: And one more compliment to Lindsay here in this image is uh, Neil's hat. The hat that he wears when he plays. Also taken off, like his cowboy hat. Right, it's the it's the hat he plays drums in. It is also off. He's not wearing that hat anymore. That's that's a beautiful addition.
2: Yeah, man. It was, and I gotta tell you, um, if we talk about themes, we touched on on that those uh sort of sublime life direct quotes uh, that anybody, any of us could interpret in different ways, and that was a major thing for us when we were when we were having it, there's one thing that we haven't necessarily talked about too much that uh, I am a huge fan of understanding the road that the artists that I love took before they became who they became. Why was their influence? Who were they listening to? What are they listening to today? Do they still listen listen to new artists? So that's why you see different people that Neil, used to listen to throughout the book, you know, how he was sad when Frank Zappa passed away because Frank Zappa's personality was huge. And by the way, I would recommend anybody to see the new documentary because it's phenomenal. What's it called? It's called Zappa by Alex Winner. It is unreal. It's a really, really good documentary. But then the fact that he was listening to Linkin Park that was a yeah.
1: surprise. <laughs> that was a surprise to me, too. You
2: know, that was incredible. And, and again, those are the little things that when you read a whole book, you have the overarching massive story and everything. But there are little things that you, when you pull them out, it's like, wow. The fact that he loves Sinatra, mm. it's amazing.
1: Yeah.
2: I don't think it's in the book, but he enjoys the, I think it's the Live at the Sands record quite a lot, and he talks about, several different things in his book and and that's another thing i'm hoping and i I mentioned it in the introduction of the book i'm hoping people would buy their books his books Mm -hmm. because if you want to get to know him read the books you know read all the different books traveling music for me was phenomenal and uh, you know ghost that one and ghost Rider are probably my favorites but I hope these little quotes inspire people. Oh, let me read that book then. This, this sounds interesting or I never thought he was that way. And there's one thing that has been consistent out of some of the feedback that fans have, have sent us either on email or on social media is that they feel they got to know Neil a little bit more with this very little book that we created. And that's what we wanted. We wanted to celebrate that and celebrate the, all the different aspects of uh, of who, well, now who he was, you know. Um, but yeah, that's that's what we what we wanted to do with this.
1: And speaking of celebrating, it's selling very well. I looked here on Amazon, temporarily out of stock. So congratulations!
2: Thank you very much, man. It, Everybody that buys the book, it it means so much to us. Uh, and again, we've talked about this before, but this is super scary, mm-hmm. especially in the circumstances that this book is released after he passed away. That was not that was not the plan. Yeah, you know. So it's ten times more scary, you know. And uh, the fact that people are enjoying it and it's giving them comfort, because it was such a surprise to all of us that hopefully this book brings joy for, for people and celebration for, for who he was. And, and that's what we've gotten from everybody, which is amazing. You know, I mean, the internet is, is what it is. (laughs) And um, people have been enjoying these different facets of, of the man. And uh, that makes me so happy. And uh, that was, that was the job, you know, the job was to show that this this is he's more than just a drummer and he's more than the greatest drummer in the world, which is not just a little mm-hmm. thing. But but he was a great human being that we can all learn from and get inspired from.
0: Well, you did a fantastic job, David. I mean, it does show you how much more there is to Neil, much more than just Rush.
2: I appreciate it, man. Yeah, he did. He did did the job you know yeah yeah <laughs> the quotes are from him so we just we're just showing them to, to people basically
0: so how can rush fans get this book since it's sold out on amazon can we go to fantoons.com and get a copy
2: you can go to fantoons.shop and rushbackstage.com uh, and in fact um, in uh, in only on our store and the rush backstage store they can get we did a a very beautiful bookmark to accompany the book and we are giving it away from free for free for anybody who buys the book on our store or rush backstage only you cannot get it anybody uh, anywhere else so anybody who, who cares about that uh would be very grateful if not you can get it on barnes and noble still has stock now that amazon doesn't have it and uh there's a lot of different indigo in canada so it's Pretty much everywhere in North America, uh, I got messages from people in the UK and Europe. The uh, Amazon.co.uk stock should probably be uh, arriving pretty soon. Uh, people can order it on Waterstones as well in the UK for your your English and British fans here. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean it's it's hopefully people can find it uh, everywhere they live. I'm hoping, you know.
0: Well, David, thanks so much for joining us today on the Rush Fancast. David Calcano, creative director and founder of FanTunes. Thanks for joining us. We appreciate it.
2: Always a pleasure, guys. You guys have something truly special with this podcast, so all the best. Thank you very much for
0: having me. So, Jar- yes, David Calcano, he's amazing. And the thing I love about him is he's living the life Neil would want him to live. Does that make any sense?
1: Yeah, he's carved out for himself. A place that he wants to be in. It's really quite amazing.
0: Really is. And he's just a great guy. He said he loves talking to us. We love talking to him.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this has to be the, one of the, the most laugh filled episodes we've done. <laughs> so much fun.
0: And his work is outstanding. Outstanding. If, if you haven't yep. picked up a Fantoons book yet, absolutely do it. Absolutely. Just go to the Fantoons website or go to rushbackstageclub.com. And pick up this book. It really is fantastic. And he said, you get a, a free bookmark. Yeah. Can't beat that. Yeah. And I was thinking the same thing about the New Yorker cartoons. That's what these reminded me of. I didn't realize that until
1: he, he made the suggestion. And then it was obvious.
0: Yeah. I mean, it was the first thing I thought when I, when I saw the book, it looks like the New Yorker cartoons.
1: Yeah. And I love the New Yorker cartoons. I always enter the caption contest like almost every week. I haven't won, obviously. <laughs> it's it's hard to get that New Yorker kind of drollness. Yeah. It's a special kind of writing.
0: And, Jerry, I almost forgot, a couple of weeks ago, we had Richard Houghton on. We have a book to give away. Richard gave us a copy of The Day I Was There to give away mm-hmm. to one of our listeners, and I understand you have found us a winner.
1: Yes, I have found us a winner. Uh, our winner this time is Chris. He has been on our mailing list since like day two. Oh, great. And he follows us on Instagram and he comments a lot. So I'm glad he won. I'm going to send him an email right away.
0: Awesome. Congratulations, Chris. It's a great book. You'll enjoy it. Yep. You can find us on Twitter at Rush Fan Cast. Instagram. Like Chris does, you can follow us at the Rush Cast. Email Jerry, the Rush Cast, at gmail.com. Get on our email list. The next contest we do, you'll be automatically entered. If you have anything to send to Jerry, send it along. The bass intro, as always, done by Lex. And Jerry's got a quote for us. I can't wait to hear it.
1: Yes, I'm going to quote something from the illustrated book we just talked about. Oh, nice. This is something from Neil, obviously. Playing a three-hour rush show is like running a marathon while solving equations. Just like this podcast.
0: (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Take it easy. Bye. Bye.